The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here is your top five at five. Can stocks keep their big run going after posting the best month in nearly two years? Futures may be saying no. The bulls do appear to be back in charge for big tech. New data on just how much investor sentiment has turned. More than 2,000 Boeing workers headed to factory floors today, at least for now, after an 11-hour proposal to avoid a strike. Plus, the European energy crisis showing no signs of slowing down as countries get ready to try to drop their gas demand with consumers in the crosshairs. And what word is mentioned in the new Senate inflation bill nearly 200 times? Here's a hint. It starts with a T and rhymes with axe. It is your morning RBI, and it's coming up all on this Monday, August 1st, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching, and also welcome to August, by the way. Summer is just flying by. All right, thanks for being with us, everybody, and good morning. I am Brian Sullivan. Let's jump right into it and get to your Monday money and see if last week's and last month's big stock surge can continue into this new weekend month. Well, right now it's not looking like it, but it is very, very early. Stock futures, they are down very slightly across the board. Dow off 55, NASDAQ off about 45 points. The major averages all gaining three or more percent last week. And for the month, the Dow, the S&P, the NASDAQ all seeing their best run since 2020. The NASDAQ up more than 12% in July. And so I guess now the question that everybody's going to ask, including us, by the way, was that the sign of a bottom in stocks or just another head fake bear, bear market rally? Remember, historically, the best days and maybe best weeks for the market often come in the worst of times. Bonds may be telling a different story than stocks. They look like they're pricing in an economic downturn with yields now around 2.7%. Remember, the 10-year yield was at 3.48% just about a month and a half ago. It's now at 2.67%. In energy, oil is slightly lower right now to 96.60 and change. The OPEC Plus meeting is on Wednesday. And by the way, this is the first meeting in about two years that may not just be that quick agreement to carry on their previous output plan. That is over. And now the group is going to have to adjust every month going forward. So we might actually get some fireworks out of that Wednesday OPEC meeting. Natural gas, by the way, here in the States, also trading slightly lower. And let's get now to crypto, because as good as stocks did, crypto did better. They came off a huge week last week. Ether up 70% in July. Right now, both Bitcoin and Ether are not continuing that run, kind of like stocks. They are both lower. So last week, everything was in the green. To start this week, nearly everything is in the red. Long way to go, but 
Amazing how things change over a couple days. All right, let's go worldwide now and see how things are looking in Europe, along with some of the key headlines as their energy crisis rolls on. And I can see, Jumana Brissetti, there is a lot of green on your screen. Good morning. <laughs> and it rhymes. Good morning to you, Brian. Yes, there is a lot of green on the screen. Let's start with Asian markets. The theme overnight for Asia was a digestion of those PMI numbers coming through from China. Actually showed a somewhat of a decline down to 50.4 for July versus 51.7 back in June, uh, moderating somewhat both on the demand outlook and on the output uh, outlook as well. So Shanghai Composite up about two-tenths of a percentage point. Hang Seng also treading on the flat line. Japanese index, the Nikkei, also up about seven-tenths of a percentage point. We had some PMI numbers there, too, also indicating that the manufacturing output activity is the weakest in the last 10 months. But it is not all macro data. We also got some numbers out of HSBC. Really strong performance there. The bank has lifted its profitability target after first-half earnings beat. The UK headquarters lender raised its ROTE to at least 12% from next year, expecting a revenue boost from rising rates. So uh, very positive reaction in the stock today, lifting uh, many of these indices, both in China and in the UK as well. Very quick look at European equities before I throw it back to you. Uh, this is the picture, FTSE 100 up about four-tenths of a percentage point. Zetradax and CAC up about similar amounts as well. So as you said, lots of green on the screen. Back to you. All right, Jumana Versace, have a great day. We'll see you soon. All right, now let's get some of the key money headlines that are happening right now, including Elon Musk ramping up his legal fight with Twitter. Seema Modi is here with that and more. Seema, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Welcome back. Elon Musk, right, is countersuing Twitter, escalating the legal fight between him and the company he once wanted to take private for $44 billion. The lawsuit was filed confidentially late Friday, but under court rules, redacted version of the 164-page suit could be made public as soon as this week. Musk's countersuit was filed after the chancellor of the Delaware Chancery Court ordered a five-day trial to begin on October 17th. Overseas, Ukraine's first grain exporting cargo ship has left the port of Odessa today. That's according to the country's infrastructure minister. The ship is bound for Lebanon, carrying 26,000 tons of cargo. Turkey brokered an agreement last week between Kiev and Moscow to guarantee the safe passage of grain ships from Ukraine's Black Sea ports. A Russian missile attack did hit the port of Odessa just hours after that agreement was signed. On to rates, Minneapolis Federal Reserve President Neil Kashkari is calling the latest inflation readings very concerning and says the central bank remains committed to its goal of 2% inflation, though he says we have a long ways to go. Listen in. We're going to do everything we can to try to avoid a recession, but we are committed to bringing inflation down and we are going to do what we need to do. And we are a long way away from achieving an economy that is back at 2% inflation, and that's where we need to get to. On the economic front today, we have July ISM manufacturing data that's expected to show a slight slowdown from June. Then, of course, Brian, the countdown to this July jobs report this Friday. Every piece of economic data from here on out is going to matter a whole so lot important. to the markets, to the Fed, and to inflation. So important. Seema, we'll see you yes. in a few minutes. Thank you very much. All right, right now, let's get back down to the markets and your money. And coming off July's big run, investors looking to the Fed. We just talked with Neil Kashkari. 
Once again, for guidance, particularly at that big Jackson Hole meeting at the end of August. Let's tie it all together and bring in Gina Sanchez, CEO of Chantico Global and a CNBC contributor. And Gina, welcome back. When you hear Neil Kashkari and others say, we're going to do everything we can to bring down inflation and maybe a recession might happen, but we have to go after inflation. Do you believe them? Well, I think that they are right now a dog chasing the wrong car. If, if anything, I think that the meeting coming up uh, with OPEC will matter more to inflation than anything that the Fed can do. Um, and it sort of makes me scratch my head a little bit, because if you look at what's driving inflation, it's food. And that is because of the conflict in Ukraine and it's energy because of the conflict in Ukraine. And interest rates will not matter to either of those things. Okay, so they're chasing, quote, the wrong car. What is the right car? What should the Fed be doing? Well, you know, I, I, it's, that is a good question, Brian. I think, you know, if you look at what's happening in the economy, um, the economy, it's, we're, we're, theoretically, we could be in a technical recession, um, but it is more art than science. And if you look at all of the data that's going to go into determining um, at the NBER whether or not we are in a recession, about half of those data points are actually quite strong. Um, things like labor, um, uh, you know, incomes. Um, and then there are other parts that are kind of moving sideways or, or somewhat weak. And so it's really hard to say if we're in a recession. The credit card data will certainly suggest that people are still spending money, although that is on credit. Um, you know, but, but the, the yeah. story and the picture is really, really murky. Isn't that the biggest risk to the economy you just mentioned, which is Yes, consumers are spending. LAX, your airport, packed. I was just in O'Hare in Chicago, mobbed. Hotels still mobbed. But people are putting it all on credit card debt, revolving debt. Interest rates are going up. People's APRs and their percentage rates, they're getting notices in the mail or email, whatever, like your rates are going up. Isn't that kind of this insidious, quiet inflation that I'm not sure not enough people are talking about? You know, you're absolutely right. It's, it's not just that people's mortgages, anybody who has any kind of a floating rate mortgage right now, it's being reset to a much higher price that could could cause some some sticker shock. We're certainly seeing rents going up. Um, we're seeing it here in Los Angeles and we're seeing it around the nation. Um, and that kind of inflation will cause a cutback of spending. And we could talk ourselves into a recession. Um, but again, that that will be a creation of interest rate of, of sort of trying to normalize interest rates. Yeah. Do, do you care if there's a technical definition of recession, Gina? Do we care about that or whether we, we just feel it and live it? No, we don't care. We, if we feel it and we live it, it will expand to the rest of our portfolio. So you have to be a bit defensive here. Yeah, that, that, that's, re- that's really what matters. And, and being defensive right now, to your point, something that, that a lot of people are saying, probably smartly so. Gina Sanchez, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Have a great day. Live from Los Angeles, 2 o'clock. She must have stayed up. All right. We are just getting started on this busy Monday when we come back. How Alibaba is trying to reassure investors that its New York stock listing is not going anywhere anytime soon. Plus, is this a good sign why retail investors are piling back into big tech at their highest rates in years? Later, Eurasia Group's Ian Bremmer is here. We'll talk Russia, Europe, and China's aggression over Nancy Pelosi's Asia trip. 
lot to talk about with Ian. Look forward to that. Dow features down 46. We are just getting started. And we're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome back. Time now for some big money movers. Three key stock stories that are happening right now. Stock number one is Sony. Shares are down after it cut its profit forecast for the year. They cited weaker earnings for their gaming business due to slower sales of software and higher costs to develop games. Stock two, another Asia-based name, Alibaba. Shares down about 4% in Hong Kong. This after the U.S. SEC put it on a delisting watch on Friday. It's the latest to be added to the list of Chinese companies that could be dropped from American exchanges for not meeting audit requirements. Remember, China bars foreign inspection of documents from local accounting firms. Alibaba says it will work to keep both its New York and Hong Kong listings. And stock three is a new name, and that is Edgewell Personal Care. Who is this? Well, they are the owner of Banana Boat Sunscreen, among other products, and they were calling a scalp spray because it contains trace amounts of benzene, which has been known to cause cancer. Yikes! company finding the chemical in three batches of Banana Boat Hair and Scalp Spray SPF 30. Edgewell is not saying how many cans are being recalled, but check your cupboard. It seems serious. All right, still to come on this Monday, your morning RBI and some key words about what may really be in Manchin and Schumer's big spending bill and why one report says it may actually add to inflation. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
All right, welcome back. I'm back, and so is the RBI. And today, let's get random and interesting on the big surprise of last week. That is the $700 billion Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer climate and inflation bill. Now, it is officially called the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 because Congress is as good at marketing as Madison Avenue. Now, the bill's got a lot in it. It is 725 pages long. Yes, 725 pages And it is filled with all kinds of legalese and technical jargon that make it nearly impossible to understand. Most of the summaries you're going to read are going to reflect what the person writing the summary probably wants you to know. Because almost nobody, maybe not even some members of Congress, are actually going to read the entire thing. So let's try to be helpful by doing it the CNBC way with a little data. Just plucking out the number of times some keywords and terms are used in those 725 pages, like a word cloud. So here you go. The number of times each of these words in used in the text of that proposed bill, the word climate, it gets 38 mentions, which seems a little low given that it's being sold in part as a climate bill. The word environment is used more, 120 times, so that's good. There's nearly $370 billion in the bill for climate-related energy subsidies. Now, inflation is obviously a key selling point for the president on down. After all, it is in the title of the legislation. But inside the bill, the word inflation only gets a scant 42 mentions. And most of those are actually just references to the bill's title. Which is maybe why a new nonpartisan study from the University of Pennsylvania says that the bill will likely not bring down inflation and in fact may actually slightly increase it until 2024. By the way, I posted that study to my social and LinkedIn. You can read it and decide for yourself. Well, here's some more from the proposal, and maybe you should sit down for this. The words tax, taxpayer, or taxes is used a staggering 639 times. 639! With the word tax itself alone mentioned 182 times, and taxpayer slightly more. Now, of course, key provisions of the bill include setting a minimum corporate tax rate at 15% and killing the carried tax interest loophole that a lot of millionaire private equity executives use to skirt the IRS. So maybe it's not surprising. So what about the energy part of that bill? Well, the good news is that the word energy is referenced 428 times. And security mentioned a solid 81 times, which is important, given that the bill wants to spend $370 billion of your money on climate-related subsidies. It's also seen as a big win for oil and gas because it will bring back to life some previously canceled offshore oil drilling leases in the Gulf of Mexico and Alaska. So there you go. Just a little taste of maybe some of the key focus items from a more than 700-page piece of legislation. And like all proposed laws, it is publicly available. So you can go online, read it for yourself, and decide for yourself whether you like it or not. Just never, ever go on the bill's title alone, which has really become no different than advertising or something out of Mad Men. Random and hopefully helpful. All right, let's stay right there and stick with DC and dig into a little deeper into those aforementioned corporate taxes and how this bill could actually play out if, and it is a big if, if it becomes law. Elon Moy joining us now with more. Elon, good morning. Well, good morning, Brian. You're right. The linchpin of Democrats' latest spending package is a new proposal to ensure that America's most profitable companies 
pay at least something in taxes. The plan would create a 15% minimum tax for companies with a billion dollars in profit or more. It would take effect starting next year, and it's estimated to bring in $313 billion over a decade, making it the single biggest revenue raiser in this bill. Yesterday, Senator Joe Manchin defended the measure as closing a loophole. Many people in West Virginia don't, couldn't believe that corporations aren't paying anything, and some of the largest in the country. You would at least think that they would be paying at least 15%. Most businesses and all corporations that I know of pay 21%. So that's not a tax increase, it's closing a loophole. The money is critical to offsetting Democrats' plans to spend $433 billion to expand health care and invest in clean energy. Between 150 to 200 companies are expected to be affected by this new tax. According to government data, they span wholesale and retail trade. 11 percent are holding companies. Tech and media companies make up another 11 percent. But manufacturing would take the biggest hit, accounting for half of firms affected. Brian, the industry is fiercely opposed to Democrats' plans, accusing them of just repackaging bad ideas. Back over to you. All right. So, Alon, I guess the uh, what is it? The, the $700 billion question is, what is the likelihood that this bill passes? What is Kristen Cinema of Arizona going to do? Yeah, so she's kind of the holdout here. We don't know what her plans are just as of yet. She said she wants to wait for the Senate parliamentarian to scrub through this text to see if there's anything that might uh, fall out and doesn't comply with those Senate rules. But one thing we do know, Brian, is that at least in the past, she has been supportive of this corporate minimum tax. So it seems like that's something that would stay in there, even if some other provisions might go away. Alon Moy, I'm sure that you will have a lot more on this today and until it's voted on. Alon, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, now let's step outside of the world of money and business and get a check on some of this morning's other key headlines. Philip Mena is in New York with those. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Brian. Good morning. In eastern Kentucky, more rain is making it even harder to recover from last week's historic flooding. The death toll has reached at least 28, but the governor is warning that number will grow. Another update is expected at 9 a.m. Eastern. Hollywood is mourning the loss of former Star Trek icon Nichelle Nichols. She passed away of natural causes. Nichols busted through Hollywood barriers in the 1960s in the original Star Trek series, playing the no-nonsense communication officer, Lieutenant Noyota Uhura. Former Enterprise shipmates George Takei and William Shatner both took to Twitter to mourn her passing, with Captain Kirk crediting Nichols with redefining social issues in America. We're also mourning the death of basketball legend Bill Russell. He was an 11-time NBA champion, a five-time MVP, the first black head coach of a major sports team, and a civil rights leader off the court. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver said Bill Russell was the greatest champion in all of team sports. Michael Jordan remembered him as a pioneer. In a statement, he said that Russell set an example for every black player who came into the league, adding that the world lost a legend. The great Bill Russell was 88 years old. And that's it from here. Worldwide Exchange will be back after this. A new month and new markets. July's big run not looking like it's going to continue. Stock futures, they are lower. Big tech, a big recent winner. It was some of the biggest tech names running the show. But is this just a classic bear market rally or the start of something larger? And Putin. 
putting more pressure on Europe. Now turning off the natural gas pipe to another country, Eurasia Group's Ian Bremmer is here to lay out the next steps of the crisis and what may be Moscow's ultimate endgame. It is Monday, August 1st, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Monday morning. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange. Get right now to it and see if last week's big stock surge can continue into this new week. Futures right now not indicating it might, but it's very early, thinly traded. Dow futures only down 38 points, so a little red on the screen. Don't make too much of it. We'll see where it goes. But we had a lot of momentum coming into this week. The major averages all gaining 3% or more. And now, of course, the question pretty much everybody is going to ask Was that the sign last week of a bottom in stocks or just kind of another head fake bear market rally? A good question. We'll try to get answers. Speaking of rallies, energy stocks were some of the biggest winners last week in all kinds of energy. The Invesco Solar ETF, ticker TAN, it's made up of a bunch of solar companies, rose 18% in just five days. The single best major non-leveraged ETF. What was second? The XOP oil and gas ETF popping 13%. Think about that. Renewables and fossil fuels, the two best performing ETFs in the entire market last week. It's this whole we need all the energy thing we've been talking about for, you know, a couple years now. All right, speaking of oil and energy, oil is slightly lower right now. You've got OPEC meeting on Wednesday. Now, these last number of meetings have been kind of boring. They've been rubber stamping the deal that they made during COVID. Well, this meeting is going to be the first one in about two years that may not just be that quick agreement to carry on their previous output plan that is ending. And so OPEC is going to have to make some harder decisions going forward. Wednesday's the meeting. It's going to be a big one. All right, natural gas is down right now just about 4% here. But in Europe, prices are still very very high. Their spot natural gas market is priced at around $200 or 200 euros per megawatt hour. What does that mean? Well, you do the conversion. That is about $60 here in the States. We're at, what, seven and a half or eight? They're at 60. Speaking of natural gas, let us hit the latest on Europe's growing energy crisis. First, gas problems continuing to throttle gas flows into Germany. The Nord Stream pipeline now pumping at only 20% of its capability. That is down from, by half rather, from when it restarted a week and a half ago. When we were in Germany, they restarted at 40%. It's now running at just 20%. Gazprom still blaming a Siemens engine problem for the slowdown, which Germany has basically said is just a lie. And it's now not just Germany. Putin is cutting off all natural gas flows into Latvia with Gazprom citing some kind of violation by the Baltic nation for that stoppage. Now, Latvia should be okay even with the cutoff. They don't rely on it that much. But they now become the sixth nation that Russia has entirely cut off from natural gas or has chosen to cut itself off. All right, now let's get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines. Seema Modi is back with those. Seema, good to see you again. It's been a while. Brian, let's continue the conversation around energy. The Biden administration is reportedly looking at issuing sanctions over what's being described as a global network helping export Iranian oil. According to The Wall Street Journal, the companies and individuals in focus have been using ship-to-ship transfers of oil in waters that lie between Iraq and Iran and then forging documents to hide the origin of the cargo. 
The journal says the potential sanctions would be part of the White House's broader effort to escalate diplomatic pressure on Tehran as the U.S. pushes to reach a deal on Iran's nuclear program. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi kicking off her high-profile visit to Asia. Pelosi and several other members of Congress are in Singapore today, with the delegation also set to visit Malaysia, South Korea, and Japan. With no mention of Taiwan, the Speaker has yet to confirm reports that she may end up visiting the island during the trip. Boeing clearing a key hurdle with federal regulators in its bid to resume deliveries of its 787 Dreamliners. The FAA has signed off on the company's inspection and modification plan for the jets, which have been plagued by a series of production issues since late 2020. Separately, Boeing has temporarily averted a strike by workers at three plants in the St. Louis area. A union representing the workers announcing they will vote this week on the company's revised contract offer. Brian, I'll send it back to you. Seema Modi, appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, now let's get back to the market. Send your money. The Nasdaq coming off its best week in more than a month and best month in more than two years. The index pushed higher last week, led by some of the biggest names. Amazon, which had an incredible run, Apple, Alphabet, and others. Those mega-cap names rising despite a number of top and bottom line misses or disappointing guidance. Meta was the lone outlier, Facebook, falling 6% last week. Now, of course, it's not all good news. July was good, but the Nasdaq is still down more than 20% this year. But that is not deterring some investors who believe the tech sector will continue to push higher. Data from Vanda Research shows purchases of a basket of popular tech stocks like Apple, Amazon, Tesla, and Microsoft have hit the highest level since at least 2014. According to the same data, Apple AMD, and which reports, by the way, earnings this week, and the Invesco QQQ ETF have been among the most popular individual bets since at least 2020. Joining us now is Richard Kramer, co-founder and senior analyst at Arate Research. Richard, let me be the first to ask a question, which is going to be asked, no doubt, five million times in the next couple of days. Was last month, particularly for big tech, just a bear market rally or the sign of a real and longer lasting turn upwards? Well, Brian, uh, we talked last week about getting away from this beats versus misses uh, rhetoric and how simplistic that was. And so I think it's it's pretty clear to us that this was a classic bear market rally. If you look back at the dot-com boom, the bear market lasted about 860 days. In the global financial crisis, it lasted about 520 days. And we're about 200 days into this one. And I think what we saw last week with the decline in ad spend is that the professionals have voted. They've said, we're still going to keep orders going through the supply chain, maybe not, not so much for consumer products, but uh, advertising where we can pair it back we're going to um, we're going to we're going to reduce that. And this week, we're going to hear from the consumer discretionary exposed companies, whether it's Uber or PayPal or or uh, Alibaba reflecting Chinese consumer demand uh, and others, uh, eBay, yep. that are going to reflect what's happening with the consumer, which may signal a bit of a different trend than the professionals, because it tends to lag by uh, by a few quarters. Yeah, and we had Sony overnight in Japan, by the way, come out and give pretty disappointing profit uh, numbers and guidance as well. That's a consumer story because they were talking about weakness in gaming. You've also had companies like Google, Alphabet, 
talking about, you know, it's top story on CNBC right now, Richard, you know, increasing productivity, companies talking about slowing hiring. What are they saying in between their corporate speak lines? So I I think you have to look at some of these companies, especially, and again, Brian, we've talked about how well-managed big tech is relative to a lot of the smaller companies that don't have the adult supervision. They're founder-led companies. They might not have the same uh, depth of resources. You know about the $300 of cash sitting on big tech balance sheets. And I think what those companies are telling you is they're happy to look through this cycle, this downturn, and prepare for the next one. I think you look at a company like Sony, it's trading at 1.4 times EV to sales. Uh, it's got a phenomenal spread of assets. And it's got that Japanese mentality that says we're happy to look on a, on a two or to a five year plan. The same thing with Google, which is still going to spend 25 billion plus in CapEx this year and 25 billion plus in R&D. These companies are not pausing uh, their businesses to, to hide under a rock for the next 18 months. They are pressing ahead, and I think you'll see a big difference in companies based on execution. I'll I'll call out one other name where execution has been really disappointing, and that's Intel. And that's a name that we'd liked. We thought you'd have Pat Gelsinger in there to lead a turnaround, but the execution just hasn't been there yet. And I think that's going to really separate uh, how how the stocks perform. One other key point I'll mention, because you mentioned retail investors, Mm -hmm. realize that it takes professional investors several quarters to build positions in stocks. And what you're starting to see happen right now is people revaluing those assets that maybe they valued up to the moon when things looked great in November last year, and then they got too depressed about. But now we're starting to get a clearer view of which companies are going to make it through and we're still going to be talking about in the second half of 23 and in 2024. But longer term, before we let you go, Richard, is there one name you just love for 10 years out, 10 years from now, not tomorrow, not 10 weeks, not 10 months, 10 years from now? I mean, look, it's going to face some serious headwinds in the advertising business. But what company in the U.S. has a larger data center estate or uh, a bigger asset pool in AI than Google? So, you know, it's a company that's spending a huge amount of R&D. Uh, today. It it talks about pausing or slowing down hiring, but it's not pulling back from spend. You'll see a lot of other companies that don't have the hundred billion plus of net cash that it does to make it through this situation, you know, this, this scenario. And I think one other one that everybody was so bearish on Apple heading into the quarter, we've kept it as a buy. I think that's again, an incredibly well-managed company. It's absolutely exposed to slower consumer spend but you realize that that company still has a tremendous uh, range of resources that it hasn't yeah. really monetized yet. How can you go away when you're, 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 you're inside the cloud? There's nowhere to go. You're not moving everything over to Google. You just named the two yeah. phone companies, by the way. Richard Kramer of RIT well, Research. I mean, appreciate it, how, often do you check, how often do you check your phone, Brian? How often uh, are you checking what, your phone? What, sorry, I was looking at my phone. <laughs> exactly. I didn't hear you. I was looking at my phone, Richard. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah, Richard Kramer. RT Research, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, coming up like a million times a day. All right, Eurasia Group's Ian Bremmer on Russia, Europe, and China's aggression over that planned Nancy Pelosi trip to Taiwan. An interview you can't afford to miss. Next. All right. Beginning today, EU member states are going to begin their voluntary demand cut for natural gas. They're going to ask countries, some of whom, by the way, have their own sufficient energy sources to slash nat gas use by 15 percent. 
The move is primarily so Germany will have enough gas to heat their citizens' homes over the winter. This even as some nations, like Spain, have suggested it has no interest in rationing gas or its economy, and the problem is Germany's to deal with. All this coming as China ratchets up the angry rhetoric around Taiwan and Nancy Pelosi's planned trip to Asia. Joining us now to talk about it all is Eurasia Group founder and president Ian Bremmer. Uh, Ian, it's really important to have you on right now. Uh, how does this ultimately play out in Europe? What do you see as Vladimir Putin's ultimate end game? Well, uh, we've seen Nord Stream 1 uh, capacity and throughput go from uh, 40% to 20%. And honestly, I would be surprised if there's any gas flowing from Russia to Germany by the time we get to winter, precisely because the Europeans, uh, both through their sanctions and also through their efforts to find diversified sources and reduce their use, have showed the Russians that they are trying to move as quickly as humanly possible to get away from Russian energy. And once that happens, the Russians no longer have any leverage. So, I mean, the question you have to ask yourself is, given that Putin is fully aware of that, is he prepared to sit, just sit around and wait for the Europeans uh, to no longer need Russian energy and no longer take it? I think the answer to that pretty clearly from Russian behavior so far in the last few months is no. And that's going to make it a very hard winter for the Europeans. But that's unlikely to change. I mean, the worse he gets, the more Europe is going to dig in and say, forget about Russia longer term. We're going to go to U.S. liquefied natural gas. We're going to go to renewables, et cetera. All at the same time, Putin is adding on to a pipeline network to China, almost building on his umbilical cord, if you will, uh, with the East in. So it's almost odd. Is, is Putin kind of trying to spite the hand to cut off his face here or just inflict uh, maximum pain because he can? Look, I, again, I, I think that the decision by the Europeans has been made on the back of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, not on the back of them reducing gas later on. Um, but there's no question uh, that the Europeans are holding together very strongly here through seven rounds of sanctions, far tougher than anyone would have expected and far more united than anyone would have expected before the Russians invaded. That's the real story here. And so if you're Russia and you understand that that is going to be the outcome no matter what, then what Putin is trying to do is hope that by making the Europeans really hurt, European citizens, this winter, that there'll be much more of a peace movement. There'll be much more domestic pressure inside countries like Italy and Germany that are going to hurt a lot. Uh, I mean, you're talking about serious GDP contraction when they're no longer facing any potential of Russian gas in the winter. Well, how much pressure is that going to put on these governments? That's frankly the only play Unless, unless, Putin, unless Putin believes that he's actually going to put an end to the Ukrainian war and that the sanctions are going to come off. And there's nothing we've seen from Russia in the last five months that would lead anyone yeah. to believe that. So this is really how much can I squeeze the Europeans to see if I can break some of them? I, just, I was just in Germany a week and a half ago talking about this, Ian. I don't know how much the people of Europe are ultimately going to be willing to suffer and sacrifice their own economies and their livelihoods for what's happening in Ukraine. I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that the common sentiment of the people we talked to was like, listen, we need to keep moving on here. We, we, we just came out of COVID for a couple of years. We can't deal with this. 
I also wonder if a bunch of you know, technocrats in Brussels making these decisions are ultimately going to speak for the people. I mean, you've got people in France that are saying, why should we suffer for Germany? Right. We've got our own nuclear. They've invaded us twice in 100 years. I, I just I don't know how much the people will stick together versus the politicians. Look, it's a fair point. I mean, if this was the United States, uh, would, would American citizens be willing to take higher prices at the pump for Ukraine? The answer is pretty, pretty clearly no. A lot of them wouldn't. So I, I, I get your point, of course. But let's also be clear that 27 EU nations unanimously voted to give candidate member status to Ukraine and Moldova. In other words, the Europeans, not the EU as a whole, but individual European governments all embraced the notion that Ukraine is a part of Europe and that this war is a European war. And millions of Ukrainians are living in European homes. They're living in, U- in European communities. So this does have a lot greater direct impact on Europeans than it does for the United States. We should recognize that too. I have no doubt there will be demonstrations, political demonstrations and pressure. Some will be pro-Russian yeah. and some will be just directly leave this alone we want you to take care of us first. There'll be a Germany first and a, and a, and a France first and Italy first demonstrations. I have no doubt about that. But, but I don't think they will be strong enough to shake the level of consolidated policy orientation okay. that we've seen, especially because next year, the, the Russians will not be able to hurt the Europeans as much or ever again. This is a short-lived phenomenon. Let's, uh, I certainly hope you're right as they, they come more to USLNG. Very quickly, Nancy Pelosi is in Asia, unclear whether she will indeed go to Taiwan. China effectively saying they may you know, force a jet down or shoot down U.S. military jets. If Pelosi does not go to Taiwan, does the U.S. look weak? And if she does go to Taiwan, does China look weak? I mean, how, this is a crazy situation playing out overseas. The timing is truly unfortunate. Uh, nobody wanted this to Terrible. leak to the public. Uh, by The Biden White House was trying to deliver this message privately to Pelosi when they found out about the trip a couple of weeks ago, and it leaked uh, to the media, and now it's a much more challenging situation. Look, um, the Americans have told the Chinese to back down in recent months. You'll remember when the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, traveled to Rome in seven hours, delivered the riot act to the Chinese, saying, don't you dare provide military support or break U.S. sanctions or else, and the Chinese backed down. So it's clear the Americans tell the Chinese what to do. The Chinese tell the Americans what to do a fair amount. This is a case where it feels uncomfortable for an American, for the Chinese saying, don't you dare send your Speaker of the House or there will be military response. That's not going to be shooting down planes, but absolutely it's going to be um, the kind of direct confrontation, heightened alerts, military exercises, Uh, potentially after a Pelosi trip, they might announce some kind of no-fly zone. I mean, this is is not a conflict that either of these governments want. That's why Biden's been trying to convince Pelosi not to go, but he's not been convinced that she's going to listen to her. And at least as of mid-last week, uh, Biden personally didn't know if she was going to go or not. So this is, it is ultimately her decision, but she's going to upset her president directly, something she has not been wanting to do uh, if she decides to go ahead with this. And if if she doesn't go, the U.S. is going to look weak. And if if she does go, we'll see what what China does. Really unfortunate timing. Ian Bremmer, always great timing to have you on. Thanks for getting up early, Ian. Real pleasure. Quiet on deck. 
Was July's big stock boom the sign of a bottom or just another bear market rally? We're going to hit that next. And a reminder to follow our podcast. Dow features mildly turning pot. Look at that, flashing before your very eyes. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. And by the way, welcome to August. Yes, it is summer, but there's still a lot going on in the markets. Do not sit, do not stop, because you will miss something. All right, here's what's coming up. You got two economic reports of note, one out of t- both out of 10 a.m. Eastern time. You've got the Institute for Supply Manufacturing, manufacturing number, the ISM number, and June construction spending. Good indicator, maybe a future industrial demand. You're also going to get earnings out of Activision Blizzard, Pinterest and mall owner Simon Property Group. I think Simon Property could be really interesting because they're going to have their finger on the pulse of consumer demand and retail as well. All right, so we're coming off the best month for the stock market since 2020. Kind of weird, right? We had the the worst first half to a year for the S&P 500 since 1970, and yet the best July in two years. What a turn in the month of July. Nearly every stock Nearly every sector is higher. Will that momentum roll over into a new week and a new month? I don't know. Right now, the futures are down six points. And I'm not going to make a call based on six points. That's, yeah, maybe in the red, but it's pretty much irrelevant. Still, we're not up two or 300 on the futures. So we're not necessarily right now seeing some kind of big aggressive buying action coming in to the new month as well. Energy, that's going to be the big focus going forward. It has been the big focus for much of the first half of the year. That continues as well. You've got OPEC Plus. They are meeting on Wednesday. Now, the last number of meetings for two years, effectively, since they made that COVID demand cut deal have basically been rubber stamping their supply agreement with some minor tweaks around the edges. That's ending. So Wednesday's OPEC Plus meeting may be the most important in two years because now they're going to start. They're outside of that planned deal, and they're going to have to start sort of individually making Uh, you know, plans either month to month or longer term. That will be Wednesday. We're going to cover that, of course, all day on Wednesday right here on CNBC. All right, outside of that, there are some other things happening. Elon Musk, by the way, countersuing Twitter. That is escalating the legal fight between him and the company that he once wanted to buy and take private for $44 billion. Oh, how long ago that seems, two months ago. The lawsuit was filed confidentially late Friday, but under court rules, A redacted version of the 164-page lawsuit could be made public as soon as this week. Musk's countersuit was filed after the chancellor of the Delaware Chancery Court ordered a five-day trial to begin on October 17th. Methinks the media may have some interest in that. Meantime, some good news for the world. Ukraine's first grain exporting cargo ship left the port of Odessa, Ukraine today. That is according to the country's infrastructure minister. That ship is bound for Lebanon. Now, it's only carrying 26,000 tons of cargo, but it's an important first shipment for a much-needed grain. Turkey brokered that agreement last week between Ukraine and Moscow to guarantee the safe passage of grain ships from Ukraine's Black Sea ports. Meantime, a Russian missile attack did hit the port of Odessa just hours after the agreement was signed, but that ship did leave. Meantime, Minneapolis Federal Reserve President Neil Kashkari He's calling the latest inflation readings, quote, very concerning. It says that the central bank remains committed to its goal of 2% inflation. But he says we do have a long way to go on that. Those are some of the key headlines that are happening right now. 
That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange on a busy Monday. Stock futures, flip a coin. That'll probably tell you which way they're going to go. Squawk at the gang, picking up all your coverage. We'll see you tomorrow on Worldwide Exchange. Have a great day. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.